Rubble room next to my bathroom in my basement. This is my worst holiday, a podcast about your worst wedding, your worst funeral, bachelor party, bachelorette party, party, or whatever is funny after the fact. We want to hear it. Doesn't matter if it's a holiday. We just want a funny fucking story. I'm sure you can handle that. And with that being said, today's episode is brought to you by Amazon. That's right, Amazon the big dog. All you have to do is go to my worst holiday, click the Amazon link. And shop away. It's not going to cost you anything more. It's just going to help us out a little bit. And I mean a little bit. You wouldn't, like, you wouldn't feel it if he's lifting it. It's a little bit. So it's just a tiny bit. Uh, but every little bit helps out. And with that being said, we, are, we have a very special guest, Mr. Barry Norman, ex-DJ, or future DJ, or ex, now DJ? What are, you, what are you doing, Barry? What's up with you, buddy? <laughs> not much. How are you guys doing tonight? <laughs> We're doing not great. Not bad. There you go. <laughs> Well, it's a good thing you can't see me because I, I definitely have the face for radio. Uh, I see you. You look You're a rather handsome Jew. I, that's what no, I was saying. I'm a very handsome Jew? That, that's Boy, like, that's the second time I've heard that this week. Is that right? <laughs> was it, was when we was on, no, that was last week when we was on the phone together. <laughs> no, tell us all about yourself, man. What do you got going on? All about myself. Well, okay. Um, I guess uh, next to the Howard Stern, I'm the, the second king of all media because I've worked in um, newspapers, magazines, uh, television, radio, uh, film, and, um, and, and now I'm an author. Uh, so I guess I'm an author. I, I just uh, finished my third and fourth book, and I wrote my first uh, uh, play uh, a few months ago. Quarantine is great when you have nothing else to do but sitting in front of your computer. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I, I have two more uh, books uh, coming out later because I have nothing else to do. And uh, the, the play that I wrote is actually, out of, if you guys are familiar with pro wrestling, are you, are, do you know the famous Montreal Screwjob? Yes, yes. I do that. Oh, that's where, that's where, um, that's where Bret Hart got Young the title Ish. taken away from him by Shawn Michaels. Right. In other words, oh. he was leaving the company. He actually signed a huge contract with Vince McMahon and the WWF, and then Vince decided he couldn't afford the contract and decided he had to, you know, get rid of him. Uh, he, uh, Brett then signed a new contract with WCW, but he was going to be allowed to leave the way he wanted to because he'd been with the company 13 years, was a, a top champion, uh, a, a fan favorite, and so he was not that he was not going to lose a match. And then in Canada, where he's from. Uh, he got screwed. In other words, he got pinned in a, in a no, wrestling, by the way, is not real. At least the endings are, are, are scripted. And the way it was supposed to end was not the way Brett thought it was going to end. So he felt he was completely screwed. And they call it the, the Montreal screw job. Yeah. And yeah, I wrote a play. Man, like at the end, he actually spit on McMahon. He spit on and then, then punched him out in the locker room later. Right. Wow! But so I I wrote a play about it, but it's all in Shakespearean English. No. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, well, exactly. I, I mean, it, it's it's all in iambic pentameter, all in old time no Shakespearean English. Because how how much more Shakespearean can you have? Uh, I mean, if this man is like you know the, the kingdom, and uh, you know he is, he has knights, and and there's loyalties, and there's uh, and there's backstabbing, and of course oh, yeah. you know, this this man had it, you no know, had it, you no know, he actually had a clown uh, character, you no know, called, you know, called Doink, so I made him the court jester, so it was a morality play, so I you know I wrote that. I'm actually now trying to get some famous you no know, wrestlers to uh, be in it. I can attach them to it. Maybe maybe Vince McMahon when when the whole world opens again, we can actually have plays again. 
will actually produce it, even though I kind of make fun of him. Uh, his name in the play is, is Vic McNugget. <laughs> his, his son Shane becomes Shame, Shane. but but I, I I do treat him well. I mean, I actually give him his point of view. It's it's a chicken or egg thing, right? I mean, who actually has the right to decide how they're going to go out? Is it the promoter who gave the venue for the wrestlers to become superstars and make a lot of money, or is it the talent that they was by their hard work and their charisma that got fans to want to watch? So, in other words, who made who? Therefore, who really does have the right? So there's lots of you know, long monologues and, and, and dialogues and all kinds of stuff. So, so we'll see. I actually have a couple of you know, uh, uh, one famous wrestler or, or ex-famous wrestler who's, who's interested, and that's Sting. Oh, so okay. he, oh yeah. Love well, Sting. I was a big Sting fan. Yeah, well, plus he actually is an actor, so whoever does this actually has to be able to memorize long, long, because these are Shakespearean monologues. Know, that go yeah. on forever, so they have to not only be able to memorize it, but in that in that type in, in that speech pattern. Right. And I would love, obviously, the main the main character. You know, if you know Dwayne the Rock Johnson would agree to it. I mean, he's another one, obviously, with ma- you know major acting experience. And imagine if he's on Broadway, what yeah, what yeah, type of crowds that could bring? Rock in. In, in theater, though, you know, I like I can I can picture him like in a movie, you know, in the movies. But uh, let's just say uh, like theater, like actual stage theater. You know, I just don't see him doing that. Well, but once again, it's a challenge. He could do it. It would be right. It's not the Fast and the Furious. It's not any of the things that he's known for. It would be a huge challenge. And every every time, I mean, I've never met him. uh, When I worked at WCW in the World Championship Wrestling, he was obviously in the other. So I I don't know him personally. Right. But I have a funny feeling. You say this is a chance for you to be on a Broadway, assuming it gets on Broadway, a lead actor in a Broadway play. Given this type of performance, imagine what that would open up. the next Brian Dennehy. Be he the could next be. Kenneth Branagh. He could be the next Al. He could be the next Al Pacino. The next Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> hey, they, they made a play out of Spider Man. There, there's your boy Shakespeare. Yeah, Spider Man. Yeah, <laughs> only a couple of people died during that one. Well, and the whole play died, but no, yeah. but this one because it's actually going to have a live wrestling match at the end of at the end of the play. You know, every single night. So imagine all the hoi polloi that normally comes out to the theater right. are now going to watch a wrestling match. Nice. And, and, and just like in real wrestling, where they wrestle the same match night after night, you know, but it, it'll change a little bit depending on how they feel and how the crowd is. Except for the ending, which can't change, they have to do the same dance. No, they have they can change it depending on uh, how their performance is. So, you know, people would come to see the the play over and over again to see the match and the same way, but how it goes before that would vary. So, this is my idea, and I'm sticking with it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, hey man, I love that's it. Your- that's your baby. Run with it. You That's know? my baby. So, in other words, when, if it if it actually gets off, you no, know, gets off the ground and it completely flops, then I can go back on the show telling you about another painful, of no offense, <laughs> in my life, where, where I actually got a wrestling play I off the ground and it, this to us. <laughs> Fuck was that right. bad? You know, it completely flops, closes. No, no, the, no. The first night, no, ruining everybody in the process. No, you know, they will then. Then Mel Brooks will make another play about you no know, movie about that, about the biggest failure. You know, who the hell is this guy? Why are we listening to him? And 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 I ruined. I know Broadway reopens after this whole stay at home shelter, and I ruin it for everybody. <laughs> That's my goal. Swing I, big, I, I strike like out the, big, like and the then come on your show and, and, you, and then talk. That you, uh, that you put out there, man. Well, I'm, I'm not afraid to fail, and obviously, because my life is filled with major, with major failures of, of, of epic proportion. 
But you know, the only, but the, what that says about me is I'm not afraid, you know, to make an ass of myself and, and to try things that are way beyond my grasp. Hey, try, try, and try. Again, That's right. Man. Yeah. You know, like read one of my books and you'll get the ideas. Of, what was he thinking? Why is he writing? And not only that, why is he writing about his life? So why does he think anyone would be interested in that? So, so tell us, <laughs> tell us how many uh, books have you written? Uh, I've written four. Three of them are a trilogy about myself, and the fourth one is about pro wrestler Sid Vicious. Oh, wow. Okay. That's three more books than I ever read. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, go on. You can start going on Amazon. My first two are available. I mean, uh, they're easy names. Remember, the first book is called Flipping Point, because that's basically about you know, the point where you actually flip out. And the second one is even easier. Remember, it's called The Angriest Childhood in the World. So that gives you an idea about what a happy, fun book that was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just, just a joy to write. You know, and it, but the good news is everyone who reads it says, oh, my God, I'm glad I'm not him. <laughs> so, so whatever crappy so, life you think you're living, you know, read those books and so go. On, yeah, can, can they can they find right. these, can they find these on Amazon? Yeah, the first two which are which are already out are on Amazon. So if you find one, it'll actually show. You no, know, if you like this you know, freaking book, you'll like this as well. So yeah, both of them are, are on right. are on Amazon. Uh, everybody, look for Barry Norman's uh, uh, books on Amazon. The the first one was called what now? A flipping point. Flipping point. The second one was. The angriest childhood in the world. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> now, now the third one that's coming out in a few months. You guys actually might like because it actually kind of fits in a little bit with the motif of the show. It's called the delightful Denver Doldrums: A Seven-Year Road Trip. Because it's about my seven years in Denver, which I looked at as one long road trip. You know, the two thousand miles it got it, uh, took to get there from Boston to Denver. All the crap that happened in Denver, and then I finally decided to you know leave Denver to go to Florida. And visiting my best friend in college, who ended up marrying my girlfriend in college, who I didn't know until just a few weeks before I was I was coming down to go through Texas from Denver to visit my best friend in college. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> Surprise! Oh wow! Yeah. Well, that, yeah. That, that. I mean, that. that I mean, like I said, she was my first girlfriend. I mean, I never had a girlfriend. I was. I was the guy who used to like to beat up and pick on in, in high school, and I didn't get a, a girlfriend in college until my junior year. So we dated no for two years. You know, nice southern girl from Alabama, and I, I'm from Boston, and, and we went to school in uh, Connecticut. I remember I visited her one time in Birmingham, and the mom just got on the phone and said, "Hey, you got to come over here and hear this guy Barrett talk. He talks so funny." <laughs> you gotta hear him talk because I, I had a thick Boston accent then, and I was looking around. I go, really? No, they're, they're gonna make fun of me. So, <laughs> so I, I, I was two years older no, than than she was, and my best friend, I, we, we, I actually, he influenced my entire career. He got me working on the school newspaper. I decided I want to go into the magazine industry because it's writing and graphic design, which I like. He and I went to a school in New York University for magazine publishing. Um, I got a uh, I got a job uh, working for the largest magazine dis uh, distributor in the world, and that's what took me out to Denver. And then they told me they had another job in, in Houston. My friend was from Dallas, and he got the job you know, in Houston. We I kind of you know we we kind of stopped talking to each other. We just you know, we drifted off. He was doing his thing, I was doing mine in Denver. And then when I decided I'm going to move to you know to Florida, I. Didn't know if he was still in Houston or if he went back to Dallas. So every now and again, I called directory information looking for, you know, David Stewart with his middle initial E, which he always included. And one day I found a directory so information for it. Yeah, David E. David E. 
David E. So one day I found a, a listing in, in Dallas. So I figured, well, he must have moved back to Dallas. So I called the number up, and the, a woman answered. I goes, hi, I'm looking for David Stewart. Let me make sure I have the right one. His middle name is Exxon. And there's a pause at the end of the line of the phone, and also he goes, Barry? And, I, and I'll go, oh, God, no. <laughs> so it was her. And I go, what are you doing there? And I go, we've been married for years. So I'm trying to figure out how this happened. Because, like I said, she was no, no, two point, years are, younger. At she, that point, are uh, you she, happy to hear your friend? Are you pissed off? You're like, you whore! <laughs> oh, it, 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 it gets even worse when, 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 I, when I fill in the blanks. Right. She, so she, uh, I'm, I'm the, the program at NYU ended for the summer, and my dad said, if you don't get a job, you know, don't come back here. I just paid for your college. I just paid for this program in, in NYU. So just, you know, so we're still living. David and I were actually roommates at, you know, at one of the dorms at, at, at NYU. The program has ended. We're going to get kicked out of the dorm. I'm actually about to be homeless. I was homeless for three weeks in New York City because I ran out of money and I couldn't go back home to Boston. Just before that happened, uh, my girlfriend is coming up to you know to visit me before she goes to school in Connecticut. And I go, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, at least this is happening. Right. So she comes to break up with me. Oh. So she comes to NYU and, you know, and to your break up with like, me. I wish that I had Barry's girl. <laughs> <laughs> Barry's girl. Nice. Aww. Yeah. So 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 so, 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 the final nail in my coffin. Oh, by the way, we're over. It was over six months ago. I didn't want to ruin your senior year. Oh, yeah. So you just want to ruin you know, the rest of my I life. Fuck your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. So 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 she goes to Connecticut. Uh, I end up homeless, but I do. Get the interview with the big job, move, move to Denver, get my you know, my friend you know, the job in, uh, so in Houston. At least you got to be homeless and he took your girlfriend. <laughs> well, yes, at least I got to be homeless and broken up with. <laughs> you, know, you know, so as Bill Murray said, so I have that going for me. So I have that you know, going which for is me. nice. From the so, so in other words... I've been thinking, it, it took me a few minutes, it actually took me to leave, you know, when I was with those guys, you know, when, when, you know in Dallas, before I headed back to Florida, go, wait a minute, when did they get together? I mean, <laughs> David is graduating the same time I am, Never he's at math. NYU, Never do right? the math, Barry, <laughs> Never do the do math. Do the math, he moves to Houston, <laughs> she's still in Connecticut for school, going back home to Birmingham, when did this happen? <laughs> oh, I, I forgot to mention, our last semester in college, we all lived off campus together. Oh, yeah. So yeah, oh, so we're in the same house together. Obviously, with different you know, classrooms. Get carry mm -hmm. one. Then, then Barry, it happened. Then, <laughs> you think? Are you sure? I mean, you didn't think they just suddenly, out of nowhere, decided to have a long distance relationship, got together one day, and got met? You, you think they act? This actually happened while I was still in school. <laughs> you know, I'm no Colombo, but Poor I just scratch my head and go. You know, I, I couldn't help but notice. Um, uh, you were all living together when, <laughs> when, 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 when this happened. And, and oh, by the way, you told me the last six months you wanted to break out with me then, but didn't. Um, the, the, the only good news that came out of this, when I did visit them, you know, I hadn't seen her in, in, in seven years since I, uh, since I left. She had gained a thousand pounds. Um, so, ah, so David's driving. Yeah. Dave, Dave is driving me all around Dallas, and all she can say is, you know, when you pass me that joint, you know, when we're going to get a beer. Yeah. And I'm thinking, is that the sum total of what she learned from me? Because 
we, we were friends before we started going out because I had pot all the time and I had a good stereo system. Yeah. So that's how we started hanging out. And I'm thinking, oh, oh my God, is that the sum total? Stereo is always a, you know, that's a plus and a plus, you know. That's a plus. I had the yeah. best stereo in the, in the dorm and I always had good pot. So, well, yeah, you you're going to hang out with me. Go. Well, that was the 70s. And that's maybe, so we maybe that's where she got her affinity for Arvids. So, yeah, she, she, I mean, she never changed from that. At least from, from college, she was still, you know, when's the next joint, when's the next beer? So I said, oh, my God, did I dodge a bullet there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got anything to snack on, like a brisket? <laughs> like, well, well, like a brisket. Well, that's something, I, that's juicy. That's something I would eat. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I actually. Like a whole brisket. Like, like, she's the type of person that walks up to a buffet and looks at everybody else and says, back off, this one's mine, get your own, you know? Well, she, she, she was one of those people that had a stream. She had a beautiful face, and from the waist up, she was gorgeous. She just had the world's largest cellulite thighs, but I was in love, and I didn't care. I mean, that's what love is, right? You don't care that they have thunder thighs. But when yeah. I saw her seven years later, <laughs> a true romantic, Mary, a true romantic. <laughs> Well, see, see, they're both, I, mean, I actually talk about them a little bit in my first book, Flipping Point, but I really go over it in, in the delightful Denver Gold. She lets me have sex with her. I love her. Well, <laughs> I, I, unfortunately, I, I carry grudges. I mean, I, I mean, I thought writing these books would, would, would make me feel better, but all it did was rub my nose into every bad thing that ever happened. You, you fell short <laughs> of your catharsis. <laughs> well, that's the first thing people ask me. Was it a cathartic? No. no. I freaking relived it. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the way I write it is spontaneous every, prose, so I, I so I'm like living it again. I keep getting more and more pissed off. It, it, I mean, now, now the, uh, one other funny thing that happened, which is the kind of good thing. Like I said, I was bullied a lot, and one of my friends from high school you know, read the book and liked it. And then she told me that uh, a few months later, she was at a funeral. And a guy that I actually named in my book, Flipping Point, was one of my bullies was at the funeral, too. And so my friend Doreen goes you know, goes to this guy and says, "Hey, uh, no, did you know that Barry has you no know, has a book that, that came out?" And he goes, "Yes, I actually read it." Oh, and, and she goes, "Yes," and she goes, "What do you think?" You know, because she realized, "Oh my God, the bully, you know, who bullied me, reads about himself in the book," and he says, "I feel awful about it." And, and so, but then he goes, but I was only 12, 13. What did I know? I go, you son of a bitch, 12, 13, you don't know any better? I mean, I mean yes, you do better. You're, you're pulling your plug when you're that age. You mean, yeah. you do better. Right, but I mean, you no, know, he, he is a fireman now, so I guess, you know, he, he went to the, no, the, 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 the. He's saving lives now, and you're still saving a grudge from 13 years old. He's saving. And I right well that stuck with him. I feel so bad about what I did to Barry. I'm going to turn the corner. <laughs> See, I made I made good people out of them yeah. bullying me. I turned them into good people. You saved a family of six, but that son of a bitch pulled my underwear up over my head when I was ten. <laughs> yeah, I, I did get oh, my revenge sure. on a lot of my you high school bullies. You think he's a good guy because um, he because he gave oxygen to those people and made them live? You don't know the you don't know the wedgie situation. They, oh, it was it was worse than that. He gave me worse than wedgies. <laughs> it, it was uh, I, I I spent an entire afternoon getting tortured by him and a few other guys, and, I, and to this day I don't know what I'd do if I ever saw them again. Kill them, Barry. Kill, kill them, them all. Ki kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly what that voice in my head sounds that's like. Exactly. Kill them. Kill them. Kill them all, Barry. <laughs> Burn them to the kill ground. Them all. Let God sort them out, Barry. <laughs>
oh, that's a good name for my next book. Let God sort Let them God out. Sort them out. <laughs> <laughs> I like. Can I? Can I? Can I use that? You're not going to copyright that. I mean, no, no, that, no. That's all. That's all free. Uh, that's all free domain. Cool guy. I do have an internet lawyer. I can have that copywritten before the show. The show is up. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> Every time you say that word, I'm going to get a nickel. Copyright lawyer. <laughs> Yep, sorry, you can't say that phrase anymore. That's how close I am to a lawyer. I know a guy that knows one. <laughs> I have my lawyer on speed internet dial. I go, I need this, you know, this, this phrase copyrighted. You got it. To change. <laughs> By the end of the show, I'm going to get you guys to say it again. It's going to cave no my groceries this week. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not hard to take some from somebody that doesn't have a whole hell of a lot, Barry. That's. <laughs> Ooh, that's... I've got a, I've got a microphone, Barry. That's what I've got. You got a microphone. Well, I, 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 I had salad that. days. I, I actually had some interesting days at some point years ago that have ended long. <laughs> so, yes, you get a microphone, too, but make sure I know you exacerbate my pain. Good. Good for you. You're in my next book, Or my next movie. I, I am a filmmaker. I, I, that. I, I'm not doing too bad. Well, let's see. I, I, I could make a movie out of this. All right. I can call it Podcaster. 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 Pull your podcaster. <laughs> I, I tell you, when, you, when I'm an author and a filmmaker, I'm the wrong guy you want to screw with because you will end up now, on one Barry? of my you know, one who's of my media things now? some point. <laughs> this is how I settle scores. <laughs> you, you, you fuck up Gentiles. That's what you did. <laughs> That's right. I I screw up the guys. <laughs> Hey, I, I was actually once uh, when I lived in Atlanta. When, when I, I I was once a bouncer at a neo-Nazi skinhead bar, what? and I always wore my Star David. Ne oh yeah. <laughs> Fuck you! I, I did not. I was a bit. Oh, I turned. I turned to be a badass. I know. I I, I, I was a better bodybuilder. I took a whole shitload of steroids. You know, went from one ninety-five to two seventy. Right. And and, and oh, became yeah. a complete and total badass. Nice. And you, you bounce now, yeah, and now skinhead around? No, wait, I don't need you laughing so much now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 270 now, but I'm still about 215. No, and I go, no, I, I used to be 6'5". I'm now down to 6'3". Like so if you keep, no, if you keep on to like talking, I'm going now, the right so. direction with you guys. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. I was like 260. I'm down to like 190 now, so. I'll kick your ass, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just, just watch the bad shoulder and the hurt back, and I'll go that. that I, I, and then I bitch. got your ass. I've got <laughs> you. I'm going to whip your ass. I'm going to whip your ass. I eat the hemorrhoids. I eat such a punch. I'd give you for waiting for the hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to Hank Azaria. <laughs> well, I, well, that's one of the reasons my second wife you knows that she left me, because I was always doing voices. Mm. She said she didn't never know what my real voice was. I mean, every now and again, I she the left you because you did voices. I did voices. I could all make a long music like cut a shirt, pull the rope. <laughs> you kidding? And she never knew what I sounded like. <laughs> nice girl from college. Only fucked twice. The band and the height and the football team. <laughs> hey, my wife. She said she likes to have sex in the car. Last night she let me drive. <laughs> My wife, she's loud. She's loud during sex. You know what I'm saying? I have to yell over to the neighbor to tell her to keep it down. <laughs> okay, now we have dueling Rodneys. <laughs> That'd be a good show. My kid, he's no fucking prize either. <laughs> <laughs> My wife, she can't cook. Hey, last week the fly, she's in to fix the homeless screen door. 
Okay, the PC material doesn't go off so well. I get all right, it. All right, all right. Let's get back on track here. All right, exactly so, right. Finding so, us yeah, another you're, painful you're memory. You're a badass now, and sure. you're bouncing at a neo-Nazi uh, uh, bar. A neo-Nazi skinhead bar, yep. Wearing a Star of David for my necklace. Nice. Nice, my man. Wow. Well, this this is my, my my time in Atlanta. I lived here twenty years. I, I was I was threatened by the Ku Klux Klan once when I was about to take over a newspaper right near the another uh, Georgia Atlanta border, and they found that out, and I, they left a note on oh, my I, I took it to the local sheriff because I said, "No, no, no, get out, Jude. We will kill you." And I took it to the sheriff, and he looks at it and goes, "Yeah, that's about right." <laughs> <laughs> well, he probably wrote it, right? I like his conviction. <laughs> yeah. Wait, we'll see. Oh, and, and, and then in 2001, I started the Galanica International Film Festival in Galanica, Georgia, which is right at the base of the Appalachian Trail. Now, the film festival itself is everything that Nazis know and white nationalists hate because obviously it caters to people from all, people from all over the world show up. It obviously has a large you know, gay contingent. And then they found out that a Jew was starting it. And it turns out Delonica has a very large national alliance, which is the, which is the biggest neo Nazi, or it was, I don't know if they're big anymore, the biggest neo Nazi group in the country. And they started emailing me, Satan spawns you, we're going to kill you. So I said, I'm your worst nightmare. I'm a Satan spawns you who can kick your fucking ass. Yeah. <laughs> I said, name the parking lot, bring as many of your friends as you want, and you may kill me, but I guarantee one of you is going out, and we, and we won't know which ones we get there. Yeah, <laughs> and I never, I never heard from them again. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, Georgia was fine between the Ku Klux Klan and the Nazis. I, I had a good time. There. How come you're not? You're supposed to be scared. How come you're not scared? Which ones? Are, which ones are nicer, the Ku Klux Klan and the Nazis? I really want to know. Uh, well, the Klan only wrote a note on my windshield. I didn't think they knew email so then. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, well, the funny thing is, I, I, I actually earned the respect of the neo-Nazi skinhead at, at the bar because um, I told him whenever someone was trying to get, I said, look, I'm not here to judge you. You can wear your you know, your stormtrooper boots and your swastikas. And if you don't break any you know, of the rules of the bar, you're cool. I'm not going to do anything. So, I mean, I, I said, I'm not here specifically to kick your ass. I'm here as any other bouncer would, but you get out of line, then, then yeah, I'm, I'm coming for you. So they Just actually... Imagine, like, who's going to call over the, the Jew? Like, like at what point? <laughs> I guess, I well, put it this way. I was, I, was, I was a big... I was the bear Jew. You know, I, yeah. I was you know, in glorious I'll glasses, just the bear like, Jew. And... It's like, it's funny how things turn around, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I was with you the Nazis kind of respected because I never I never got in their face I never started giving them grief I never did anything that I wasn't supposed to do as part of my job right. so therefore they actually respected the fact that I wasn't going to break up when they're slam dancing really hard and doing and you just couldn't throw yeah. your drinks around or, 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 or screw the underage girl in the bathroom you know those are things you can't do so right. they actually right. they, just, they respected <laughs> me I, I just picture Hitler like, like hey is this a new Slayer album no <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, 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 one of the worst nights is actually with one of my favorite artists uh, when the Rollins band was there. Who was? Oh, yeah. And they loved the Rollins band and Henry oh, Rollins. Oh, yeah. He did Rollins that not Henry Rollins, liked yeah. Hey, Chris. And, and they would get crazy. And I actually, you know, and actually I became friends with Henry, uh, with Henry Rollins because he saw that I was able to control things without getting into actual fights. I, mean, right. I, I knew how to control and, and get him to leave by action. So, yeah, they... I guess you have to respect someone who's at a place you should not be at and isn't afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, so where was that guy? You know, during the angriest childhood in the world when I was you know, where everyone was picking up. <laughs> <laughs> Every kid's where was for that a while, guy? Mary. 
Every How come nobody told me about steroids while, when I was know? 10? Yeah. What? You're, you're, not always, you're always a monster, you know? Like, I've seen some little kids that were little, and now, like, they were, like, four or five years younger than me. Uh, Opie, one of them we call Opie. That kid's a fucking monster now. Holy shit. Well, that's that's the thing. When I, when I went back for my 10-year reunion, that was when I was on the height of my steroids and, and, yeah. and way 270. And the funny thing about that is I had a stepbrother who was my age, and he was like the the most popular guy in high school, the captain of the baseball and soccer team, screwed all the cheerleaders. So I hadn't seen him in a while because I'm living in Denver. So I come back to Boston for my high school reunion. He sees me, and he goes, oh, my God. And he gets on the phone, and he starts calling a lot of his friends, a lot of them were the bullies that made my life miserable. And he goes, Barry's back, and he's a goddamn monster. So they must assume I'm coming back for revenge. Right. <laughs> and I, I'm just coming back because I want to see, okay, what do the hot cheerleaders look like? What did all the right. Al Bundys turn out to I be? I want to crack at the cheerleaders. <laughs> well, the, the, no, the, the captain, the cheerleader that I asked the prom and, and rejected me, you know, she actually gained about 50 or 60 pounds. She's on me like, you know, no, she's all over me. Yeah. No, at, at this thing. And, and a lot of the big you know, football player bullies, they come up to be Barry Fife. Fife, I, 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 anything that puts you on, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so the thing was, I was like, cool, like, yeah, whatever. I don't remember. I mean, I just, I wasn't there to know to kick it. I just wanted to see. And just like you would expect, you know, the big bullies all became, all became losers. All the hot cheerleaders were all, you know, you know three, three divorces, five kids, you know, 80 pounds heavier. So I mean, it was exactly as I had hoped. You know, they all exactly. peach. You know, they were... you're, you're, you're all that I wanted you to be. That's all I yeah. ever wanted for you. I prayed and prayed and prayed. And look, <laughs> you're fat. You're dumb and fucking unemployed. Thank you, God. Right. And, and, you're, and you're all just looking right. <laughs> Ultimate losers. Right. Yeah, and I, I, I heard and, you and, have herpes. So good. Then. And, and you have herpes. And you gave me and you gave me her. Good. Yeah, now you're exactly. all that. Hey, dodge the bullet on that bitch, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, so, so that was so. I mean, I had. So that was. I mean, I, I haven't seen any of those people yet. I, I just moved back to Massachusetts last year, and I actually tried to get a mini high school reunion there together here in Gloucester, where I live. You know, which is about you know, not that close to another Boston, and none of them wanted to come. <laughs> So I don't know if that means, you know, this is like they're, they're afraid I'm, I'm the, the, the revenge I didn't take, you know, you know 45 years ago is going to happen now, or, or they're even worse off now than they were then. <laughs> but, nope. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, right, that's right. Just to remind everybody who we're talking, we're talking to Barry Norman. He's an actor. He's an author. Uh, he's worked in wrestling. He's a screenplay writer. He's writing a screen. Uh, he's writing a play, an actual play um, about wrestling. Um uh, he's telling us all uh, some of his past stories. The guy's hilarious. He, we're having a lot of fun with Barry. Uh, go ahead, Barry. Oh, you forgot. I, I was also in the music business. He's also in the music business. That's right. Oh, yes, gonna, I. Gonna get to oh, that. yeah. Tell us, about, about tell us about launching live and four non-blondes. Okay. Well, uh, in... I was working. I was actually working at wrestling at the time, and my my best friend. Uh, you know, we, we both went to the Music Business Institute because we both hated our jobs in the mid '80s, and we said, "What do we want to do? We want to get in the music business. How do you do that?" I saw an ad in the back of Rolling Stone saying, "You want to be in the music business." So we spent twelve thousand dollars a piece to go to a one year program called the Music Business Institute, which had great equipment and was completely worthless. The only job they could place you at is is at a record store, which you don't really need to spend twelve thousand right. dollars of education to get yeah. no the five dollar an hour yeah, job. You need a in pair of tennis shoes and the ability to open a door. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it did have television production, and I we were in Atlanta, so that's how I got to know hired by CNN first, and then went to WCW. And he actually did get a job at a small record label, and they moved to New York. So we we stayed in touch and talked about the music business. And then in 1991, we both started hearing some some trends in music, where a couple of bands, uh, EMF and, and Jesus Jones, had like number one hits that came through college radio. Yeah. And, and while at WCW, I actually got uh, a call one day from a guy named John Silva. And he says, I'm a huge wrestling fan. Uh, you have some shows coming up in various towns I'm going to be in. Can you caught me? I actually work the music business. I, I manage some bands. And we weren't pulling him in that time. I was like, hmm, maybe he'll be useful down the road. And so I comped him all these passes. Meanwhile, my friend Bruce and I start talking about as we hear more and more artists on Top 40 radio that you would never hear before. We started thinking, getting the idea of what if we created a nationally syndicated alternative music radio show that was designed for top 40 radio formats that would never play a lot of this music, but they might if it's just a one-hour show. So then uh, one day I get a, a package in the mail to my WCW offices, uh, and it's from John Silva. Turns out he manages Nirvana. Yeah. And he sent me their CD. Never mind. This is before it, it was released. Right. So I listened to it and I said, "Oh my God, this thing is go- this is going to blow the lid off. But we better get- do something right now." So I I, I called him because he left me his, you know, his his information. I said, "Can you get us an interview? We're we're thinking about creating this nationally syndicated radio show. If we get an interview with Nirvana, that's really going to help us try to secure a syndication deal." So we did. He got a, he, you know, he got me an interview with Nirvana the night before they went on Saturday Night Live. So that's like January tenth, nineteen ninety two. Holy shit! Really? Yep. So I, I get to talk to Nirvana, uh, which, which which is cool in itself. I mean, I, I, I asked Kurt Cobain, I said, and because it was obvious he was already disgusted. Their their, their acceleration was you know, was at this point preordained. They knew they were going to be huge. Right. So I asked him about yeah. that. I said, I said, is this exactly what you wanted? I said, you were a regional band on Sub Pop in, in Seattle, the Pacific Northwest. I said, how do you feel about where it's going? And he said, I hate it. I said, this is everything I didn't want. Just It's almost like my story. Said, All the bullies that used to pick on me and, and made my life miserable now think I'm God. That's you no know, hypocritical. I said, I hate the whole idea of the machinery. We now have this sound that I guarantee we're going to have a hard time breaking away from. So he, he was miserable with it, but it did help us get this show off the ground. So we actually got a syndicator. You know, it's just in, in syndicated radio and television, the way you make money is you have to get cleared on 80% of the major markets. And once you do that, you get national advertising, which pays a shit ton of money, and that's how we would get paid. Right. So the show was on the air. Uh, the syndicator said they would take us, and we, my partner and I, could clear New York. So we cleared the second biggest station in New York City. So now we're on the air, over, uh, and, and we think, oh, my God, this is going to go huge. And every week they'd say, oh, we just cleared another 10 stations, another 15. You'll be getting the advertising revenue any moment now. And um, two of the bands that we put on the show, we, we got uh, interviews with both you know, uh, Ed Kowalczyk of Live and Four Non Blonde. Right. And because it was on our show, and our show was on WNEW, the, the number one and oldest AOR, that as a you know, album-oriented rock, which is another way of saying classic rock, that's where the Kings, the Who, the Stones, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, our show actually yep. replaced a, a one-hour Led Zeppelin show called Get the Let Out. So WNEW, you know, here's the music that we're playing on the show that they're carrying, and they added you know, uh, a song by Live and Four Non Blondes to their playlist. And that's how, I mean, uh, when the radio, when record labels uh, from 
they're approaching the stations in their market, the first thing the program or the music director that makes those decisions says, oh, I don't care about any, any other market. The next thing they say is, where else is it playing? So right. once they hear right. that a band is on New York radio, bam, it starts getting added all over the place. So uh, because uh, Five and Four Non Blondes got added to WNEW, it goes from the light, medium, to heavy airplay, and then all of a sudden other stations start picking it up, and then they start charting, and that's how you know, the band, you know, it, it was a major thing for the two bands breaking. Nice. Now, unfortunately, uh, with getting back to sad stories in my life, now the show is, is, is critically acclaimed in all the trades, like Billboard and stuff like that. Uh, all the stations that I know that are carrying are loving it. Uh, we, we would do really, really goofy things, like... Um, we, we, we play a song by Morrissey, who, had, who was famous for being a whiner, and I got clearance from Saturday Night Live to play a segment of The Whiners. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember that. It was Bill Piscopo. And the, the Whiners, oh, they yeah. talk like oh, yeah, this. Yeah. So we got clearance to play a clip of the you movie. Know, you come out of a commercial break, and all of a sudden you hear, Mine's working. <laughs> they play Morrissey. <laughs> and, and, and program directors thought that was hilarious, but... Uh, Four or five weeks are going by, no money's coming in, and we are demanding the, the syndicator, what station have you cleared? And they wouldn't tell us. We finally got our lawyer to, you know, to, to force them. Right. And we were on a bunch of nothing stations all over the country. Milledgeville, Georgia, Wenatchee, Washington. You know, not, not the type of stations that the advertisers are looking for. Right, exactly. So so after 12 weeks, it was costing my partner and I you know, almost $3,000 a week to produce. You know, and we we went out of money. Yeah, with no so revenue even though coming doing, in. Yeah, so we had to stop the show because we just couldn't afford it anymore. I mean, it, because the syndicated didn't do what it was supposed to do. We thought we were on Miami and Dallas and Boston and L.A. and Detroit. <laughs> you're you're Wabashaw. <laughs> right. So we're, it's, it's, it's like, oh, my God. So we found out they only added our show in the first place because they were for sale and they wanted to add that. Hey, we had to get on an alternative music show. So that was another, another, you know, a critical success, but a commercial failure. <laughs> and that's when also I, I, I left New York, tail between my legs, back to Atlanta, and that's when I said, "Hmm, I'm going to become a filmmaker." You have a what now? I'm going to become a filmmaker because I haven't oh failed at that God. yet. So I did that. So I, I made, I made a film. I uh, know a few years later called Blues for the Avatar, and it got uh, you know a great festival run all over the world. I mean, it doesn't make you any money, but at least it's you know even to get in a film festival is not easy. And then the good ones will fly you out there. So we got flown to Portugal, and 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 Slam Dance, which was at the time of the big uh, competition for Sundance. And and then I made another film a couple of years later about um, I didn't want to take any real job because I was going to be a, uh, um, a filmmaker. But then I ran out of money and a friend of mine gave me a job at his company as a bill collector. Oh, so you went from a DJ worst, to a bill collector. That's worst job ever. How do you mean? I mean, I, well, I, because you're, you're sitting it in a cubicle. sounds like so much though. fun, though. It's it's not fun. It's horrible. First of all, what what, what the company does? No, it they sounds do fucking everything miserable. Make, That's what I'm saying. It sounds fucking miserable. They the, the the company does everything they can to make you miserable because they figure the more miserable you are, the more you're gonna hammer people on the phone. 
So they would move your cubicle like every two days. So you never can settle into one spot. During you know, during breaks, they will say like, well, Barry did shit today. He didn't collect anything. Let's all tell him what we'll give him it the just, It reminds me like straight out of office spaces. Like I told them that they was going to move my desk again, that I was going to burn the place <laughs> to the ground. I told them I used to see and, out and, the window and, at the squirrel. And, and, and the squirrels, they, they, they were married. <laughs> And they were birds, and they were singing, and they were in love. They were singing, and they were married. <laughs> it said, it no, was worse than that. I said no salt, no salt. It, it, it was so much worse than that. It, it was horrible. I mean, for this was like the top bill collector in the place yeah, was, was in jail. Um, it, so. it was horrible, so I made a film about it. Nice. And, and the film is called Deadbeats, and it's and and I got one of my you know, wrestling friends, Mick Foley, the star. That sounds familiar. It, well, it's it's been one of the most pirated <laughs> films uh, of all oh, time, Mick but Foley? but not because of Mick Foley. The reason why it become it's become one of the most pirated films of all time. I made this film. I can't remember either ninety five or ninety six. My co star, Mick's co star, um, is was a young actress, you no, know, based out of Atlanta, named Melissa McBride. Now, if, if, if you're familiar with The Walking Dead, she's Carol. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So yeah. once people started finding out that one of their favorite characters in this cult TV show was in this you know, little 30-minute film about bill collectors years ago, it started getting pirated and uploaded, and people have made you know, uh, fan websites to it, fan Facebook pages where they actually do screenshots and do the dialogue. Once again, I've made $2.43 total. It was originally distributed by Trauma. I mean, I mean, I mean, Trauma did it like the Toxic Avenger movies, uh, oh, Surf yeah. Nazis Must Die, right. Monster in the Closet. So they they distributed it and it actually sold like thirty thousand units, and I got two thousand forty three cents for that, and they spelled my name wrong on the check. <laughs> it's like, how do you fucking do that? You have the contract you made me sign that has my name, and you spelled it wrong. So that's the perfect independent filmmaker story. I made a movie, it, it did a lot of business, and I got two thousand forty three cents. With my name spelled wrong, <laughs> but I mean, but it's it's like I said, it's been seen all over the world. I also hear that every bill collection agency also looks out, you know, shows it to their people because it's actually like a, a how-to. Because I actually, you know, have it. Yeah. Getting them, you know, I, I actually have where where, where Mick Foley is, is interviewing for the job. It's really not an interview. It's like the, they take all the warm bodies they can because half the people wash up the first day. So during that time that the guy says, this is what you're going to do. This is how you do the job. And so, so it's, it's big in bill collection agencies. Um, and like I said, that people found out that Melissa McBride is in it. So, so see, I, I, I broke a live for non blinds and Melissa McBride. Actually, nice. uh, I, I think I could have, it could have killed her career. Actually. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> hey, um, I also got to do a, I got to do a shout out really quick to a, a former guest of ours. Um, whose movie is releasing, I believe it's released today, um, Lisa London, and the movie is called Body of the Night, and it's available on Amazon right now. So, uh, I don't, do you remember the movie Hots? Like, when you were young, like in the 80s? Hots? Yeah. Hmm, sounds like a porn film. Was it, it was. a porn film? It was like, basically, it was, it was like, basically. I don't like porn films, he says, knowingly. Uh, no, it was like uh, it was like a uh, an animal house for women, like back in the day. You know, it was a titty movie. Like she was, she was in that. She was in uh, she was in um, uh, Dragnet with uh, Tom Hanks and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, she has a couple other movies coming out called The Acrylic and The Choke. 
and uh, Heartbeat. Those should be releasing on Amazon here in the next couple days as well. So Cool. We should get together and make a movie where one of us can either make the other one's career or kill it. There you go. There you go. Yeah, hey, I can hook you up with Lisa London's information, man. She's she's absolutely lovely. All right. Well, yeah, you know, tell, tell her to look up Deadbeats. You know, tell her to Google Deadbeats Melissa McBride, and she'll find a million sites. With nothing, if nothing else, it says, okay, he did something that people have seen. Right. Doesn't mean they like it, but they got out there. So that's something. Yeah, absolutely. I just found it on IMDb. Okay. All right. You found my, you found my film on IMDb? Yeah, that'd be 1996. Huh, because I've been trying to get it on IMDb. I mean, all my other films are on there, but that one, every time I put it in there, I, it always rejected. Nope. You're on there, yeah. Writer, so Barry, Norman, director, Barry Norman. Director, Barry Norman, and Michael Williams. You're right. He was my he was my co-director. He directed, you know, since I wasn't that so smart on, on the technical aspects of the record. So I, yeah, I, but, so I made him. I made so, Michael. Yeah, the cover's not on there. It says, I uh, it's, Cause I had I, I couldn't look it up directly at IMDb. I had to go to the internet, and the internet is directing me back to IMDb. But the cover of it says the best of Troma Dance. Troma Dance. Okay. So it was on a compilation DVD because Promo Dance is their film festival that they have same time as Sundance and Slam Dance. And they did put Dead Deadbeats on the cover because Mick Foley was one of the biggest you know, star. I mean, I pitched them because I thought, I mean, you you know Troma. Their films are usually, there's a, there's a lesbian love scene. There's usually one guy who gets eviscerated in, in an escalator. It's just you no know, sex and blood and gore. <laughs> so I figured that those fans are also pro wrestling fans, which means they would love Mick Foley, and that's why they said, "Yeah, we'll take this film. You got Mick Foley in it, sure." Yeah. So yeah. they did, and then it was then it was years later where Melissa McBride was the reason that it also started you know, catching on like wildfire. But I mean, the first edition when they when uh, uh, Best of Trouble Dance Volume One, it did sell a lot because he was on there. People really entered that. See, oh, Mick Foley's in a movie, not a, not a wrestling. Oh, yeah. And a name like Deadbees, it sounded no, it sounded somewhat interesting. Little did they know. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. Mick. Mick seems like a cool guy. I never. Uh, my brother got to meet him. I was like ten feet away from him, but I never had the courage to go up to him. Like, and I, I really liked you when I was a kid. <laughs> you know. He, he's one of the uh, nicest guys. I've got a. Uh, I've got a video of of Mick uh, asking me why I wasn't at a wrestling show. Uh, because I, I, I couldn't make it. And, uh, my buddy like got to meet him and filmed him. And he's like, he's like, ma, why aren't you? I'm here. Why aren't you here? You know, like I might forgive you, man, but I'll, I'll never forget. <laughs> he, 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 he's the most easily approachable guy. Oh yeah. He was, he, he was wonderful. He's, he's an author now too. I mean, he wrote his, his own biography, you know, uh, have a nice day became number one New York times bestseller. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He, he writes mostly children's books now. He right. writes books about Santa Claus and Christmas. Yeah, what do you call it? A, a miserable Christmas with the Miz in it? Right. <laughs> he's, he's, he's that guy. I actually sent him my, my first two books. I said, as a fellow author, and he said he really liked them. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Fantastic. So, I mean, I, I was, I was going to actually book him. I, I owned a movie theater for nine years, and I was trying to figure out a way to make you no know, extra revenue, which means keep it open. So I, I had a little space. So he does actually stand-up comedy. Yeah. So I tried to book him for stand-up comedy, and I talked to his manager, and my theater was only seat, you know, you know, seats 100 people, and his price, I would have to charge like 100 bucks a ticket for it to break <laughs> even. You know, so I, was, I, I, I couldn't, I mean, I, I was going to book, book him with, with a girl I know who's actually doing really well in her comedy, Erica Rose. She's that gorgeous, but her thing is she has this real high, squeaky voice. 
so that Mick Foley and Erica Rose could be you near know, the Beauty and the Beast comedy tour. Oh, nice. But no, I couldn't afford Mick alone, so there's no way I could afford the two of them. So right, yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, what um, a great idea. Uh, tell everybody the name of your books again. Okay, well, uh, the first one is, uh, the first two that are actually out there, you can get on Amazon, are Flipping Point. And then the, the second one is The Angriest Childhood in the World. And then I have two more books coming up later, hopefully one by, uh, uh, by the end of the spring and one by summer. The next one is the third book about me in my trilogy called The Delightful Denver Doldrums. So that's where you really want. If you want to read the story about me and my best friend in college, my girlfriend in college. That's there. Plus me being homeless, and also uh, I almost commit a murder. Oh, well, that's so that's in there. Yeah. Oh, I know. Really, I I almost committed murder. Uh, Premeditated murder. <laughs> okay. So so that story's yeah, in there. A, a, a girl that committed suicide and put me in the note by Barry Norman. <laughs> yep, I didn't do it. So there's no crime, no harm, no foul. I think that's what I they call think, intent. Well, I, I, well, it, it's also conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> with, a, wait, wait, with a blatant wait, wait. out and out confession, Barry. <laughs> well, yeah, but no. When you when you read about the guy who's going to kill and why he's going to kill him, I no I'm jury not would convict. Saying it was wrong. I'm not saying it was wrong. I'm just saying <laughs> these are the facts. <laughs> what, what's 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 I, I probably should before I mention that I probably should admit what's the statute of limitations for a conspiracy? <laughs> Premeditated huh. murder. What's the statute of limitations? What's the statute? So if I start hearing a knock on my door in the next few minutes, and one of you guys knocks me out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna hear. <laughs> Now you know why I have a Mr. Florida you know, and an area code for my cell phone because I don't live in Florida anymore. So, okay, they'll, they'll be knocking the wrong door. <laughs> you, you guys are now accessories, by the way, since now you knew about it. I owe that so much. Don't drag us into this, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so great. You're well. <laughs> hey, if, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. <laughs> you're taking us with you. <laughs> Hey, can you do podcasts stop, in prison? Stop, he's like, man, I just smoked a little pot, man. There's nothing, I, I don't do nothing wrong. Hey, like that, 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 you want in prison nowadays. It just might make this podcast explode live from prison. Premeditated murder. <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't make you want to screw with me so much now, right? No, bouncer to neo-Nazi skinhead bar and plan premeditated murder. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> You treat me, you you will respect my authority. <laughs> there you go, Cartman. <laughs> so, so that's book. The, the fourth book I actually can't mention yet because there's actually some uh, that there there could be some lawsuit issues involved <laughs> in that one. So uh, until it's actually out, I'm actually not going to give the name of it because I don't want to know. I don't want let certain parties know that it's, it's coming out there. So I, I'm not trying to be coy or mysterious. I'm just really I believe it. After what I just said, now I'm trying to be careful. I don't care about being caught for a conspiracy to commit murder, but a copyright problem, that I'm worried about. I understand. I understand. Premeditated murder is one thing. Copyright, totally out of it. Totally well, copyright, they can actually bust you for, right? Exactly. I mean, who's, I mean, I mean I, I'm just, because I was just talking. I was trying to make myself an interesting guest. I, 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 I drive the speed limit. I, 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 <laughs> you really think the, the world is going to mean, besides that you can't take me to jail, I get a quarantine at home. You want to take me out to a prison compilation, I'll start coughing. <laughs> right in your squat car. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> so... All right, Barry, go ahead. Uh, you've got the platform again. Tell everybody about yourself. Tell everybody about your books, your your movies, your your stage, uh, uh, your screen <laughs> thing. 
Uh, tell everybody everything, and um, if they can send you money, or if you got, or, or anything else like that. But you got the floor again. Go ahead and hit us, brother. Well, they actually can. I, I actually am doing a crowdfunding campaign, which obviously because everyone's broke and everyone's unemployed has got nothing. I, but since I am self-publishing the, the, the book, The Life of Denver Doldrums, about my seven years in Denver, you know, that's where the, where the alleged you know, conspiracy to commit murder took place. And also, <laughs> alleged conspiracy so, to so, Right, Elijah, it's all right. It's all here. <laughs> you know, no one can. No one has nothing on me. You ain't got nothing on me, Kappa. You got nothing. So, so you that was, me nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Shay. Nothing. You got nothing, nothing on me, Shay. Go, Cagney. Get it, buddy. After we're off here, I think we should just sit around and talk about fucking movies for like a day and a half. I should. <laughs> so the, the one place, if you want to send money and keep me out of jail and, and read this next book, The Delightful Denver Doldrums, it is on a GoFundMe campaign. Though, the Delightful Denver Doldrums is the name. So that one is, I'm, even if I don't click it, I didn't think I was going to get all the money for it because who has money now? I thought, well, people need books to read. No, not so much. So, so that the campaign isn't going anywhere. I didn't really expect it to. So if, if any of your listeners want to send money and actually read this book, uh, that would be great. And then I have the fourth book coming out, which I can't talk about. Um, my my films. Uh, uh, let's let, see, let, I, me know, I, uh, let me know when it releases, and I'll do uh, for you exactly what I did for Lisa London. I'll uh, absolutely um, promote it. Um, put it on my put it on my Facebook link, and I'll well, I'll definitely share it. That book is about a famous person. It's about a famous professional wrestler. And yeah. and, and, and all, the only thing I'll say about it is, you know, he was my best, one of my best friends for 31 years. I, I didn't want to write his bio because, I, cause I mean, my best friend who, who did the, the music, you know, across Congress, uh, the alternative uh, syndicated radio show, our friendship of 40 years ended because when you're in business together and you don't have a contract and things and it doesn't go well. And I didn't want to write this guy's book because I was afraid the same thing happened. And uh, he convinced me to do it, and everything was going great uh, right up until it uh, didn't. Barry, yeah, you used his name at the beginning of the show. I did? Yes. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that was so long ago. How, how am I supposed to remember something that happened 45 minutes ago? I'm, I'm, I'm in my 60s, guys. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I know Steve, my name. You and Steve had me on the phone for like fucking 15 minutes. It's like, no, don't tell him. No, don't tell him. No, don't Did tell I him. Did I really say and his then, name? And, yeah. And then you said out, and in the first fucking five minutes, you said, Sid. God, do I suck. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus I'm like, Christ. I'm like, who was it? Was it Big Sexy? Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Like, I've been racking my fucking mind for like a, like, uh, like three weeks now since we last talked. And then you write like five, like five minutes right out of the gate. Like, tell me about your book. Oh, Sid Vicious. <laughs> oh, God, you tricked me, God. You did. You, 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 you sweet talking to all of I didn't sweet talk nobody. <laughs> you fuck stick. You're the you, 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 use your, you use your Vulcan mind meld on me. <laughs> Hey, hey, am I in trouble now? Am I in trouble now? So anyway, when the book on well, that's okay. Uh, well, put it this way, uh, he actually comes out. He he, he trashed me on his podcast that I actually set up for. What a fuck stick. What a putz. So I mean, I mean, I, I actually don't want to, uh, you know, bury him or all that because I mean. Look, we were friends for 31 years. There was a lot of great times in those 31 years. I feel really, yeah, really bad. Yeah, but it only takes it's... a couple bad ones to fuck it up. Well, it, it, it takes screwing someone over. Uh, no, 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 like, 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 no, like he did. Um, he, I mean, unfortunately, he does have demons. He, he's actually a really, really good guy when he when he's good. <laughs> 
I mean, he really was a great friend when I owned my you movie theater like in Maine for nine life. years. He's a great you, friend. You don't know him. You don't know him like I do. He has good times too. I mean, really, really good times. I know. I sound like to know the, 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 the wife of the. Of he, the he hurts me because when I make him. not kicking my ass, he's so good. You don't know. Him. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. I, I guess. Yeah, we we were Barry, in a decent relationship. <laughs> Barry, this is a safe house, buddy. You can always come over. Okay, I just want to let you know, this is a safe place. You've already heard me spill my guts out. Just, just a, a tiny bit. You really, you really want to open that door up? You really want me call, calling you off hours? Well, I'm no, in pain. Can I, you I help you to, me? I want you to save some for the next time that you're on, because you're definitely going to be back on again. Um, oh, oh, you think I run out of material? No. Oh, oh God, no, no. Not even fucking close. <laughs> I absolutely know 100% you're not even close to out of material. Um, not even. Look, I, I wrote three books, and we, we've only touched a teeny tiny bit of one of them. And I'm good with that. Like I said, I want to have you back on because um, I've still got uh, to edit this, smoke some cigars. And You're going to edit it? Um, so I, I've got a busy night ahead of me. Smoke, smoke cigars, edit this, take your Xanax right after after listening to me you know, go for Here's an hour and five minutes. Here's the thing about me is uh, I'm not on drugs. Like the hardest thing I've ever done, I smoked a little pot back in the day. But that's, that's a about A little pot, it. a lot of them? <laughs> Either way, <laughs> tomato, tomato. Well, we 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 can discuss my my I, my, I my good drug years too. can hear me too. from this room, so I don't want to be very loud. So, <laughs> so uh, of course anyway, you want to go over uh, the you drug years. Us, you can find <laughs> my worst holiday on all platforms that have podcasts on them. Um, we are on Anchor. Uh, you can send us money at my worst holiday on Patreon.com. Go to our website www.myworstholiday.com. Buy everything on there. The big Amazon link. Click that one and buy everything that you're going to buy on Amazon off that link. It's still your Amazon. It's not going to cost you anything more. It's just going to give us a little bit of love. And I mean a little bit. Just like small dick little bit. Um, but <laughs> just, just, okay. trust me, just, just fucking do it. Um, and... We are part of the Rome of the Mess podcast network. We are part of the Fourth Hand podcast network. And from a room next to my bathroom in my basement, this has been my worst holiday. Good night, everybody. <laughs>